listening to the Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. So today we're here and we're going to talk about the year of 2019. Uh, as we've wrapped up harvest finally and, and gotten things uh, put a, a bow on the, uh, in the year of 2019, we need to think about what what went wrong, what went right, uh, what works, what doesn't work, what are some of those issues out there in the field that we saw uh, last year that prevented us from getting to the top end yield. With me today is Alex Obermeyer, crop scout for CVA in the regions five and six territories. So in that York area he is primary focus for him. Alex, welcome. Thank you. So Alex, let's Let's think about 2019, and and uh, we can go back to the first of the year. Uh, the first of the year, I know you spent a lot of time in a probe truck pulling samples from frozen ground. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, so the first of the year, we spent a lot of time probing in a deep truck, mainly in January, and then it seems like we had a decent amount of snow that kind of shut us off for a while. And then all of a sudden, about middle of March till almost the middle of April, everything just hit the fan. And so it, it started to thaw out again to where we could go and start hand probing and try to clean up the rest of the acres we had. However, we started dealing with quality issues just because it was so wet and how horrible the spring was to where we weren't able to get in fields in a timely manner or only able to sample for a few hours here and there. So that kind of put quite a delayed process on some things and had a lot of questions from growers and FSAs wondering why stuff wasn't getting pulled. But we, I mean, there was numerous times you'd go out there and try probing and you'd come up with maybe three or four inches when you push down almost a foot and a half. So it was just a lot of frustrating, difficult things that happened this last year. You know, you bring up a good point there, Alex. Uh, when we're out there soil sampling, conditions have a lot to do with the quality of those soil samples and I always say garbage in is like is garbage out especially in the soil testing world if we don't have a good quality eight inch core we're not going to get good quality results and as a sampler you understand that and, and how important that is uh, but there are some out there that'll go out there and probe in the mud and pull out slices uh, talk a little bit about how that quality sample should look uh, so normally when we're hand probing, uh, we got marks on all our probes that are right at eight inches. Then we have some that are marked up to 24 and even up to 36 for some of our more river bottom kind of NRD purposes that we have to go that deep for nitrate test. And basically when you probe, you, you want to get it to where it's basically hitting that exact same mark, keep mark, keeping that very consistent throughout the field and making sure that you're doing the best and getting a quality sample not right on top of the row but close to it that way we can get those results in get them ran that way we get the right fertility out there so that i mean in all reality we're working with our growers that is that's their livelihood and if we don't do a good job at sampling we could really put them in a vendor this next year you know we send in a little bit of soil uh, 15 10 to 15 cores to represent 2,000 pounds, or 2 million pounds, excuse me. Because you think about an acre furrow slice at six inches of topsoil, 
is equal to about two million pounds, and you're sending in what a half a pound? Yeah, maybe about a half a pound, if that. Well, that brings up a another thought process in my brain. You know, we do we do composite sampling, we do grid sampling, we do zone sampling. Uh, which is the right answer? Composite to me, you just as well throw a dart at the wall and and say that's my number, right? Yeah, yeah. Composite sampling, it it it's very hit or miss for me. It's hard to understand why you would take one sample on say an 80 for example and say that's the fertility we're going to use across the whole board i mean that field changes so much because there's never a perfect flat piece of ground that you know can just use one rate and one application and that's going to hit it exactly you know uh, i go back to thinking about some (laughs) of my graduate work and we were soil sampling at one foot increments and we could see a dramatic change from one sample to the next one foot away We'll never get that kind of variability covered, but our grid and zone sampling helps us establish a variability that we can control with our sprayer, with our floaters and and dry spinners. Yeah. So Alex, you know, then we get through February and you and I spend quite a bit of time together working on a planner, rebuilding that. Uh, And then we hit March. Uh, What happened in March that was kind of crazy and abnormal for us in the midwest uh yeah that that was quite a fun day actually uh you and i we went up to randolph that day and uh we gotten i had just gotten a new work truck and picked that thing up in humphrey and as we're sitting in randolph uh for some reason my ipad wasn't working very well and i was paying attention to the 511 nebraska website and started noticing that all these highways and everything started closing so then that's when we decided hey we need to close this meeting up and leave and we're just getting out of randolph maybe three miles outside of town and we ended up crossing probably about two and a half three feet of water over a bridge just so that we could try and make it home and that whole way home that's normally you know an hour and a half two hours max ended up being about four hours because we had to keep cutting over trying to beat the flood as much as we could and there's just a, a lot more damage than what we anticipated with that flood this spring that caused a lot of issues for a lot of people. There's still a lot of sand on a lot of the river bottom grounds that people are still trying to take off and get rid of. You know, that flood really changed for a long time. It's changed the, the topography of fields. It's changed uh, the micro micro environment in that field it's going to take a lot of years to to correct some of the issues that were created by those floods and you think about all the rain and snow that we had that day and and how much of that frost came out of the ground all in one day we're not used to that in in our geography at all and uh, we still are dealing with road issues Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah you drive up and down some roads and there's and whether it's gravel road or a, or a paved road, you can feel that there's a lot of long-lasting effects from that flood. Yeah, there's a lot of issues this last year that we're dealing with. And for all those guys that are, you know, had a lot of flooding on their ground, they're something that they've been working on and building for the last, you know, how many generations? Hundreds yeah, of, hundreds of years. Absolutely, that's an entire new piece of ground for them, and they're starting from ground zero. And some of them, there's a lot of preventative planting acres this last year to where they couldn't touch it and a lot of guys were trying to mow down weeds and everything all summer and just a lot of difficulty 
and frustration. Some of those fields, you get in, you go by them, and you, you'd wonder why they hadn't done anything with the weeds, and they really hadn't touched them because they couldn't physically get in there with any equipment. Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to have long-lasting effects also that they created weed, weed seed that's going to be in that field and the neighboring fields for the foreseeable future. Yeah, especially when you're looking at, you know, weeds such as palmer amaranth, ragweed, pigweed, anything along those lines, water hemp to where they're dropping millions of seed. And even if you can only get, you know, 25% of those that actually germinate, yeah, they're going to be dealing with weeds for a very long time. And you, you look at those and the growing points that they have and how many growing points you have to kill to actually kill the plant. That's a very, very narrow window to be successful to keep their fields clean. Definitely. So we move from March into April and, and April's where our year starts typically uh, as far as the growing season. And uh, we got into some struggles of getting into the fields because we had saturated soils and and really wanted to get out there and start planting that you know we know that we want to plant early early to mid-april and get things going for this crop and take advantage of sunlight and that was a stress this year yeah yeah that was a huge stress we uh in the scouting we had a lot of acres to where you'd look and look at weeds for a long time it seemed like just because no one could get in or some people got in when maybe they shouldn't and had to replant acres and it, it just kind of drug out the whole season of what it seemed like. Just everything was postponed and pushed back and pushed back. But there's there was a lot of acres that we we got in on and it was good, but it I think it, it really knocked down our top end very quick. Uh, you know, and let's face it, that planting date is the time of year when we're thinking about getting it into the ground to set our yield potential. Uh, that's not necessarily when that yield potential is, is established, but certainly a part of establishing a good yield potential absolutely you know uh, we get into into may and and we had an, an okay may it wasn't anything very cool and cloudy not a lot of gdus to drive things forward no uh, myself i had a plot that i i planted on may 17th and, and or may 18th and may 20th and went back in on July 1st and replanted beans yep uh, you know there were a lot of a lot of mistakes made in that planning window uh, because of narrow planning windows and guys pushing uh, guys planted in too wettest conditions uh, in a lot of cases uh, talk about some sidewall smearing that you saw and, and yeah, emergence issues seen a lot of that uh, probably seen a little bit more than I probably ever have in the six some years or so that I've been scouting. Uh, there was one day I was talking with an FSA and there was guys that were planting, guys that were spraying pre-emerge, guys that were spraying post-emerge. It was just everything at once and it, yeah, it, it was pretty intense there for a while. You know, I, I'll tell you, I, I'm really happy to have 2019 in the books myself because of the planting window. I started planting on, on April 26th and finished planting on July 1st. And that's a long time to be planting. Mm -hmm. That's a long time to keep that planter running. Uh, you have things pop up where you have a planter that sits outside and gets a little rain on it. And then you hook it up to the tractor again. And all of a sudden you got a short and blow up an SRM. That's not fun. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Might might 
make some guys make some phone calls to their equipment techs and say, hey, I got an issue out here. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of troubleshooting with our equipment guys this last year, a lot of phone calls. Exactly. Uh, you know, we get into, into post, post-emerge season and you think about, tell us about what you saw for weeds and, and how those weeds were controlled by the pre-emerges. And was it, was it a good year for pre-emerge or bad year? Or a mixed bag of tricks? I, I think it was kind of a mixed bag of tricks. Uh, so you had your guys that were pretty proactive and got after it, and they, they looked good, but there were still a lot of escapes this last year. And I think a lot of it has to do with too much rain, potentially getting rid of some chemical and washing it away. And we also had some guys that, you know, even though they, they did their same plan that normally gets, you know, 80% of the weeds or so, to me, it looked like you're maybe only getting 30, 40% of the weeds this year. We looked at numerous fields with growers this last year to where they've sprayed it. And it had been a couple of weeks and it wasn't really growing, but it, it was still alive. And then it that came into a lot of big issues later on in the season to where you had very narrow windows to get in. And when you could get in, you had like almost a two or three inch rain coming the next day. And I think there's just a lot of issues that we dealt with of chemical chemical getting washed away and just really hard to get in and get what you need to be get done in a timely manner. You know, uh, you think you think about getting chemical sprayed, the guys that really struggled this year, the hay guys that had trouble getting hay up in a decent fashion. Yeah. Uh, you know, these rain, the rain events of 2019 were just tremendous and they were large rainfall events that made it even more difficult, mm-hmm. uh, made for narrow windows. Uh, thinking about, about that, you know, my job, I test a lot of products and we call them snake oils and, and we've tried to separate the snake oils from the non-snake snake oils. I know that one of the products that that you looked at, that we looked at in our innovation sites, uh, you had a grower tell you, hey, I sprayed this, but I'm not going to tell you where it is. Can you find it? Yep, yep. He uh, he sprayed it on one part of his field, and then he also hid it somewhere else along that half section in there and was curious if I could go and find it. And ended up within about the first week or so I found it, and that whole season it, it stood out and then had a conversation with you about it and understanding the product more. And let you know where the field was, and even you pointed it out. It's there's we. I think we have some pretty good products out there right now that are that definitely helped this last year. You know, certainly, our listeners can go to cbacoop.com and look at those research results and evaluate them pro- those products for themselves. So, Alex, you think about uh, those post-emerge products. Uh, did you see much issues with those post-emerge products? Yeah, kind of what I had seen was just the fact that we couldn't get in in a timely manner. And so we're spraying weeds to where they should have been, you know, six inches shorter than what they actually were. And yeah, we can kind of shorten them up and make it a little bit harder for them to grow. But at the same time, my analogy is when they get that big, it's basically giving them a shot of fertilizer and they they take off. And so we had a lot of post-emerge that went out when probably shouldn't have, but they still wanted to try and get a control of it. And it, yeah, we, we sprayed product on a lot of acres to where those weeds didn't die. And we had to basically harvest through them this year. Alex, you're, you're a little young to remember the days of roguing fields, but, uh, you know, 
we may have to get back to that, and especially <clears> if we have another year like 2019, where we've got to go back and, and cut those weeds out physically by hand. Yeah, we I had a discussion with that uh, with one of my growers this last year. On He had a trouble field, and we, we discussed on how to get it out, and I joked with him the one time that maybe we need to hire someone to come out there and yeah, he, he really didn't care for it. And so we ended up trying to cultivate it, come back through and spray it again. And we knocked out a lot, but I think we're going to be entertaining that idea on having buses come around and try to clean up some of those fields and try to get rid of some of that seed bed. You know, uh, we've, we've kind of created this problem with, with only spraying one active ingredient over the years. And, and we've got to get back to that issue of of getting the right chemistries out there and certainly talking to their field sales agronomist a customer can go out and, and make a better decision than just going out with one chemistry absolutely absolutely we've hit the, hit the time in here where we like to do a, a funny farm story alex and i know that we have one together when we were <laughs> harvesting a plot and we had limited truck and i decided to load that truck pretty heavy on the end and I'll let you tell the story a little bit. Uh, so this was a year or two ago, year ago. And uh, we had an old 76 Dodge straight truck that I had. the. Uh, I was lucky enough to drive it, I guess. And so there was two of them there that day. And I remember when I was dumping up there in Rising City, I got a text saying, by the way, this next truck will be fun. So we're down in the bottom there by the river. And as you leave there, you've got to climb the bluff. Well, normally, you know, you kind of have to downshift a little bit to get up the hill. Alex, it's only 250 feet from the bottom to the top of that bluff. So but it's that, not that big a it, deal. It's not a big hill, but it stretches almost a mile. And when you're in a, a truck that's a little gutless and you've got it loaded probably a little bit heavy, it, it, it turns into something that's pretty interesting. I was trying to do my part and feed the pheasants. Yeah, because I did have you loaded for full and you were dumping a little bit over the side every time you hit a bump. Every, every single bump there was, it, there was a lot of grain that bounced out and I somehow made it up the hill. We had started it and I'd got the biggest head start that I could and just was giving it everything I could. But I shifted all the way down to the first gear and somehow got up to the top. But I think the I hit a point where I was doing about three or four miles per hour and just barely got up it. But yeah, there's... You should have got out and pushed, Alex. Yeah, I should have got out and pushed. <laughs> yeah, I should go back and get a shovel and clean up all the grain too because there's probably a few different bushels that were out there. I imagine that the wildlife probably cleaned that story, cleaned that up in, in it for us. So. Yeah, we got, we got to feed our deer and pheasants, let them keep getting big. Exactly. You know a little bit about, the, about hunting. So. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Alex, there were some surprises out there in the field, though. Uh, you know, I think about my personal experiences. There were some fields that I had higher hopes for that didn't yield as well. As we think about that, a lot of that's the cool, cloudy days. We just didn't get enough sunlight to drive the GDUs up and, and help fill that grain. And then there were other plots that I thought were going to be some of my lowest yielding that ended up being some of the better yielding plots. Uh, you probably saw that in some of the fields you looked at. Yeah, I looked at a lot of fields to where 
Uh, I know when I did yield estimates, for example, and took that to a few growers, and I, I try to stay relatively conservative on those just because there's a by the time we hit black layer to the time we harvest, there could be a lot of things that happen. And showed that to a couple growers, and a few of them were, yeah, you're, you're wrong. No way. It's got to be higher than that. And then talking with them and during harvest, you know, some of them I was low on and other ones, it was pretty close. Um, but really surprising for a couple of guys, especially a few really proactive guys. They're trying to achieve some pretty high yield goals and being a lot shorter than what it really should be. You know, the, the stresses of the season really push this crop to the limits mm -hmm. in 2019. And uh, you think about some of those stresses that we had, those rain, high rainfall events. I know I had a, had a grower say to me, well, you know, there's really not been a lot of stress. We've had plenty of moisture. Uh, and we think about stress coming from the heat side. And no, we didn't have a lot of heat in 2019, but we had a lot of high rainfall events, heavy rainfall at one time. You know, I think about Memorial Day, five-inch rainfall event where I live. Five inches of rain overnight is a lot of rain, and it, and it, of course, on a pro, full profile, had a lot of flooding that came out of that. Yeah, we dealt with basically full profiles almost the whole season, and then you deal with guys that maybe are doing trying to do a split application of N, and they're they don't need to run the pivot, but they have to run the pivot to get that on, and yeah, you you dealt with basically plants being saturated the entire season. You know, you bring up a good point. Uh, you think about that saturated soil and and needing to put on that split application use, utilizing that pivot. That's where they can run that pivot a little bit quicker and just get a little bit of water with that with that UAN and get the nitrogen out there to their field. That is a blessing to be able to do that, but it's also you feel horrible that you're running a pivot when you shouldn't be, but you got to get that nitrogen out there. That's absolutely right. You know, Alex, I, I sitting here thinking and, and something we didn't talk about that really stood out in, in 2019, when you drove down the road and, and you actually got a paint job on the front of your pickup, you know, we drive white pickups and, and we'd have this paint job because of the painted lady, painted lady butterfly. Uh, that was an issue across the state pretty much. Yeah, we, this last year, Mick, we had a lot of issues to where normally, yeah, you have some caterpillars and different things in fields and you, you hardly ever hear of guys there like, yeah, we need to be very proactive on an insecticide in beans. Well, this year we had guys that they sprayed fields multiple times because they just kept on being a new generation of, of caterpillars. And I, I know there was a field I dealt with where went by it one week and you know you you weren't quite at the threshold with caterpillars and came back the next week and all the top trifoliates are basically destroyed and gone and you're like oh oh man what what happened what did i do wrong and looking at it and you know we got it sprayed and got it cleaned up and they ended up doing pretty decent beans but just uh, unexpected issues that we we're not really used to this year and another one would be japanese beetles i've seen probably more japanese beetles this last year than probably ever have so Alex, did you think that the the weather conditions, did you see a lot of issues, you know, you've seen more insects as far as uh, worms and beetles, but did we see a change or shift in, in the life cycles of some of these in 2019? 
Uh, yeah, I would say that we probably did. Uh, seen stuff just change to where we're not used to it. Kind of throw us a pretty big curveball. It seemed early on we had more insect pressures than than we typically do in, in that June early June time frame. And it didn't make any sense because our knowledge over the years has always been that's driven by GDUs and we didn't have the GDUs to, to match those and uh, made it for a challenging year for all of us. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So with that, I guess, do you have anything to add, Alex, on the 2019 growing season that you can think of? Uh, from everything that I can think of, it's just frustrating year. Uh, a lot of hesitation just based on the weather that we were given and kind of put, you know, maybe some people in some tight spots and made them make change on what they're doing. Um, just tough in general. I mean, I know between scouting and sampling, everything was a lot harder than what I'm kind of used to. You didn't have to deal with the heat, but you dealt with a lot of moisture, uh, a lot of stuff that was prolonged and pushed back due to it. Uh, that's, and basically my whole word for 2019 is just frustration. The good news, Alex, every year's different. 2020 is going to be a great year for us. That, that's the plan. As long as Mother Nature doesn't interfere, yeah, that is the plan for 2019, 2020. Exactly. Let's let's move into 2020 with a positive attitude. It will be a different year. We'll learn something new next year. And with that, I'm Mick Godekin with Alex Obermeyer. Have a great day. Yep. Thank you for joining us today on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CVA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cvacoop.com, and you can see our precision-focused blog videos every Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Tim Mundorf.